Great, well, we're going to continue this morning in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, uh, I have a theory that every family has somebody who loves the sound of their own voice. Does that ring true to you? I think everybody has a person in their family who likes to hold court. And for, for our family, that's my dad. My dad loves to gather people around their, the dinner table. And it'll start off that everybody's part of the conversation. But finally, it'll whittle down to him. So maybe having a wee bit of a soapbox moment about something. Uh, sharing his own views and his own preferences. And he may be analysing the NHS. He may be analysing something that's happened in the news. Um, but uh, my mum even has been known to give him a mock interview, take the role of Michael Parkinson, <laughs> and uh, hold usually the wine bottle actually over to him as a mock microphone. And then she's the one who breaks open the floor then by inviting others to speak into the microphone so we can all get in the conversation again. Um, and I know another family who monologuing takes a slightly different form. And that form is the form of the expert about every subject. So um, I think this can take different styles in different families. And perhaps both those people would be at home in Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. Are you familiar with Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park? I've never been. But it's where people gather for kind of public open-air debate. So they gather to try and influence people and entertain people and sway them to their opinions. Um, and actually, that was a bit like it was in Corinth. They loved a good open-air debate in the marketplace, or perhaps in the debating chamber. Uh, they liked debating matters of philosophy, religion, everyday life, trying to further their knowledge, and trying to win people around to their points of view. In fact, they were sort of skilled in the art, quite a few of them, of doing these kind of presentations. And they were known as spellbinders for their ability to sway opinion. So we are kind of, that's the backdrop of the passage today. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, that's the kind of cultural backdrop. Everybody trying to make their voices heard, everybody trying to persuade people into their own way of thinking. And so we are going to read 1 Corinthians 1.18 to two five, quite chunky. I'm going to invite Bill. Bill's going to be our Bible reading person this morning. Whoop, whoop, go Bill. <laughs> so this is, you know how you used to play bumps and corners in the car? This passage is a bit like bumps and corners, isn't it, Phil? Off we go. <clears throat> For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Well done. Yay! Definitely deserves a clap. Well read. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pick out three phrases, three verses from that passage just to help us get to grips with it a bit, to have a look at what Paul was saying and to have a look at what we might take home for ourselves today. And the first chapter, the first verse we're going to look at is chapter 1, verse 25, which reads, The foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom. So here we have Corinth, all that different cultures coming together, trying to figure out life, uh, discussing their own philosophies, each trying to gain understanding into the world around them. And here's Paul joining in. He's preaching a message of Christ, God's own son, put to death on the cross and being raised to life three days later, defeating death and winning eternal life for all those who believe in him. And there were different reactions to this message as he spoke it out. The Jews, well, they were waiting for a Messiah, a savior, who could wield social and political power, someone who could be a great leader, someone who was going to bring them freedom, to make them into the great nation that they knew God had created them to be, that he knew he'd, they'd promised, uh, that God had promised them to be. And they couldn't get their heads around a saviour who had died on the cross, who had been working as a carpenter until three days earlier, uh, three years earlier, and then who died on the cross like a common criminal. They couldn't get their heads around that. That's why it was their stumbling block. It was like a ludicrous notion. In verse 22, we see that they demand a sign, something that couldn't be disputed. Perhaps they expected a Messiah that absolutely everybody would recognize immediately. They were looking for power and glory, and instead they got something that looked weak, maybe common, um, and they couldn't get their heads around it. And then there were the Greeks and the Gentiles. The Gentiles, everybody who's not a Jew. Uh, so the Greeks are in that bunch too. And the Greeks were searching for wisdom. Okay, That was their culture. They kind of came from a heritage of wisdom. And actually, these are the guys that gave us Socrates, Plato, um, and Aristotle, who I don't know very much about, but they came from our Greek culture uh, later after Jesus had been and gone on the earth. 
So, so they were craving knowledge. They were trying to work stuff out. They wanted more insight into how to govern their societies and build their cities, how to build their family lives, how to look after their bodies, how to look after their souls. We all love those uh, YouTube clips of silly things, don't we? Like sometimes you can see something's going to happen because somebody's being a bit foolish and you know that it's going to end in a disaster or an accident. I was very sleepy this morning and put my milk into the microwave. There's nothing like a bit of hot milk on Rice Krispies in the morning, people. <laughs> Highly recommend it as a good breakfast. And uh, I was quite sleepy and I'd forgotten what time I'd put on the microwave. So to test my milk, I put my finger in it to see how hot it was. <laughs> It was indeed hot, and I extracted my finger very rapidly, and probably that was quite a foolish thing to do, but it didn't occur to me in my sleepy state. Um, you know, foolish things make us laugh. That's why they're so popular on YouTube. And actually, uh, the Greeks found the, the cross a laughable thing. They thought it was a ridiculous notion uh, that this could have something to do with God that this could be God showing himself to the earth. Uh, but actually, of course, it was a well-thought-through plan, a plan that was perfectly executed on God's behalf. Um, I, I love a holiday. Everybody like going on holidays? Okay, every, anybody who likes planning their holidays? Okay, that, oh, there's a few people keeping me company. A good holiday, people, starts way before you leave. It does. Every, I have a theory that every good holiday deserves a Polly Pocket. Because I know there's Wi-Fi and you can have your tickets on your phone, but really you never know when you might be in a, you know, a blind spot for your Wi-Fi. So everything has to be printed out in our household. I like to gather my tickets together. I like to gather my accommodation details together. And, uh, and that actually is genuinely part of the enjoyment of going away for me, is gathering all that information and going away quite prepared. And so last October, I planned three days away for our family. And we had quite a tight budget because we hadn't really planned to go away in the October half term. But we'd been very busy. So I'd found us a bargain down by Pitlockery. And off we went to re relatively middle of nowhere in a little cottage. And the third day came and we were sitting in an Italian cafe in Aberfeldy which I might say wasn't on the plan. <laughs> and I suddenly realised that there was a slight revolt going on in the rest of the family, that, that this hadn't necessarily been the perfect three days for them, even though I had thought I'd planned it to be that. And it transpired that maybe I would have to realise that my plan had been slightly selfish and that I had thought it was great but hadn't included them very much in the planning. And uh, so my plan uh, suited myself and my own preferences. But of course, God's plan is the opposite. God's plan is personally painful and totally unselfish. His plan enabled him to take the pain and the sin of the world and deal with it in one sacrifice, his son, Jesus, who came through death and out the other side. It might have appeared foolishness, but that's exactly what, what broke the power of death. God, in his wisdom, he knew what he was doing. His apparently, apparent foolishness was infinitely wise. 
I was visiting my sister when I was younger. I think I must have only been about 14 or 15. I think it was probably quite brave of mum and dad to let me pack off on a train to visit her. She was studying at university. So I went for the weekend to have some fun. <laughs> and, uh, and we were walking along the high street of this town. Obviously, I didn't know it very well. And it was quite busy. Lots and lots of pedestrian traffic. And Sue had scooted ahead for a minute. And she bumped. I saw her bump into a lamppost. And she got a bit of a knock, actually. And I heard her say, sorry. So I was like, okay, I'll just better go check she's okay. So I scooted her head to catch up with her. I said, you all right? She said, yes, yeah. Did you see I bumped into that really tall man with a hat on? <laughs> I was like, okay, I think you'll find that was a lamppost. And he was, no, no, he was tall. He was pretty solid built, I'll tell you. I was like, okay, as long as you're all right, that's fine. But, but it was a matter of perspective. We had two different perspectives on what had happened when she'd bumped into the lamppost. And... Um, and sometimes we think we know things, don't we? And we don't. And sometimes we think we know what we're looking for. But maybe like the Jews and the Greeks, it's not always the right thing that we're looking for. Perhaps we're looking for an unmistakable sign like the Jews. Perhaps we're waiting to see God in a way we think we should see him. Perhaps we're trying to work it all out intellectually like the Greeks would do. But their human wisdom didn't lead them to a place of salvation. It didn't lead them into a place where they were encountering God in their lives. Okay. Let's have a look at the group of people for who the message of the cross did make sense. And those people are the people that God has called. And in verse 27, we get this phrase, God chose. Um, for those who are called by God, the cross isn't foolishness, but it shows God's power and reveals his wisdom. God's power and wisdom are located in Jesus. They're made visible in him. Wisby says this, that Jesus is the clue to all the secrets of God. If you want to know anything about God the Father, you can look at Jesus and find things out. So... Um, in John 14, Jesus says to one of his disciples, Philip, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. It's Jesus' job to show us what God, his heaven, our heavenly father, is like. Jesus shows us how to live our lives as Christians, how to submit ourselves to God's will, how to be obedient, how to pray, how to relate to each other, how to work, how to rest, how to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. He brings us into understanding and knowledge about God. At home, when I want somebody's attention, sometimes I do the sensible thing and I potter through the house to find that person. Other time, of course, you know what I do, don't you? I shout. <laughs> Maybe as loud as my voice will uh, allow me because somebody's probably got headphones in. Um, and, and in that moment when I call on members of my family... Uh, things change for them. It might mean they have to come for their tea, get ready to go out, that I've got a job to give them, they need to walk the dog. Uh, their day takes a course that was a different one to the way they necessarily planned in that moment or it's time to move on to the next thing. And it's the same if we even have a telephone call and our friends ring us and invite us to do stuff or we meet somebody in the street and change our plans. It changes the status quo. And it's like that when God calls us too. He changes the status quo for us 
and those around us. So let's have a look at who God calls or chooses, and maybe you'll be able to find yourself in the list here. Okay. First of all, we've got ordinary people. Well, that's just as well. Um, Verse 26 shows us that not very many were of noble birth, wise or influential. He does call those people, does God? But most times it's ordinary, everyday folk. And then he calls the foolish things, people who dip their fingers in hot milk. (laughs) But I think everybody feels foolish sometimes, don't they? And you know what? The word lacking in judgment and good sense is how you define foolishness. I looked it up. I thought that was pretty brutal. The word lacking for me just immediately throws me into the word failure. And and I was like, that is pretty brutal. And... But we do see God in the Bible. We see him using seemingly foolish acts or people to do his will. So, for example, uh, when the guys walked, the Israelites, God's people, walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and then the trumpets blasted and the walls fell down, that was pretty unusual, wasn't it? Probably wasn't the plan of action that we would have chosen. Um, I, I haven't got my clarinet out at home in order to knock down a wall recently. You know, it's, it's a, it could have seemed foolish, but God knew what he was doing. Okay, he calls the weak. I think we all feel weak sometimes, don't we? Physically weak, emotionally weak, spiritually weak. Even if we don't know the Bible very well or we don't come to church very often, most people know the story of David and Goliath. So here you've got Goliath throwing his weight around, looking for a worthy opponent, uh, being very tall and big and strong. And then you've got David. He's a boy bringing bread to his brothers. Okay. He's come to see what's happening on the front line and deliver food. Uh, he has an idea. He takes five small stones, pops them into his sling, and wielding them, he overwhelms Goliath with a blow to his head, an unlikely hero, smallest brother of a large family, but God was on his side and he knew it. He relied on God's strength and through David, a small boy, a victory was won that the whole Israelite army hadn't managed to achieve. Quite remarkable. We used to have that story at home, actually, with my three boys. And, and the story of David was called, I May Be Little. Of course, he was little. But one of our lads thought for years that it was called Mary Little. I don't know who he thought Mary Little was. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, I, I, whenever we talk about David and Goliath, we always call it the Mary Little story of the Bible. <laughs> okay, uh, we've got the lowly and the despised in our list those who are not considered acceptable, uh, perhaps those who are overlooked or even invisible, some of those slaves that we were talking about later with the Brothertons who have been trafficked, they're pretty invisible in our society, aren't they? The poor, the homeless, the marginalised. And then we've got the things that are not. I love this phrase. This phrase, I think, I think everybody has part of themselves that feels like they're a bit or not. You know, we feel sometimes, don't we, that we're not enough. That we're not clever enough. That we're not brave enough. 
that we're not strong enough, that we're not good enough. And this phrase makes me think of creation. Okay, so the creation story, the very beginning of the Bible, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was ready to create. From apparent nothingness, something that was empty and formless, he created in absolute abundance. He created waters till they were teeming with life, birds that filled the skies, plants and animals uh, produced creatures that filled the earth, and then he made us and breathed into life into us. Imagine what God could do with a part of you that maybe sometimes feels like nothing, like we are not, if we invite the Holy Spirit to come and hover over us and begin to create We'll take time later to invite the Holy Spirit to do that, to just invite him into our lives and begin to create what he would like to create in the parts of us that don't feel good enough or strong enough, the parts of us that feel that we are not. And thankfully, God doesn't just say, oh, well, you can come along too, I suppose. He purposes and plans to call us and choose us no matter how we're feeling. And what he does with us, his motley crew that he's assembled, is that he puts us in Christ and gives us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He changes the status quo. He cancels our sins, sets us free from its consequences, and makes us right and acceptable before God. And then he works in us so that we become more and more like him. We have a very important member of our family, known as Big Dog. He's quite big, he's quite cuddly as well. And, uh, and he's had a bit too much life thrown at him. Or perhaps he's been the one thrown, probably. <laughs> and uh, he was presented to me about two weeks ago. He's got quite a squash nose, I didn't do anything about that. Uh, but we had two legs that were sort of hanging off. Not quite by thread, but nearly actually. And so during Britain's Got Talent, the only <laughs> programme to sew in front of. I got my sewing box out and I began to stitch his leg, legs back on so they wouldn't fall off. And, um, and, you know, when the boys were really little, they're quite big now, actually, the youngest is 11, but um, when they were little, that would have been a nigh-on disaster, you know. And they co- couldn't really appreciate what could be done with a needle and thread and, and what could be done, even if necessary, what a trip to Hobbycraft might enable us to do in terms of fixing up a broken teddy. Um, and it's a bit like that with Jesus. We don't see all the time what he can do with us, how he can rescue us, or what he can do so that we're effective for him. We don't understand the things he sees in us. But he is the remedy for the things that we do wrong, the things we consider our shortcomings, our hurts and our failures. Those things that are our equivalent of squashed noses and dangling appendages. God wants a fixer-upper. That's the whole point. Through these people, the weak, the lowly, the despised, the things that are not, he can show his power in a way that really brings him glory. He uses the unlikely and the unable 
so that we can see his work evident in our lives, and so can the world. He comes and works in power so that we know and the world knows that we know that we know that we know it has to be him and the glory is his. What we lack, he makes up. Okay, let's have a look at chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul says here, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul made up his mind to be nothing. It was a deliberate decision. And he was in good company, actually, because Jesus also made up his mind (laughs) uh, to be nothing. In Philippians 2, it says this about Jesus. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be used with his, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing and, repl- and re- relied upon his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit for everything he needed. Paul made himself nothing. He preached only what he knew of Jesus, and he did that in the power of the Holy Spirit. I absolutely love A.A. Mills' stories of Winnie the Pooh. I grew up with them. We've got them in the house now. I hope I have them in the house till I'm old. I really love them. And, um, and there are lots of characters, aren't there? There's Kanga and Roo and Rabbit and Winnie the Pooh. Christopher Robin, Owl, Eeyore and Piglet. I think that probably covers them all. No? Have I missed one? Tigger. Oh, yeah. Okay, Tigger. And also, actually, there's a heffalump. There's a heffalump that stars sometimes, isn't there? Have we got them all covered now? I think so. We probably all have our favourite, don't we? My favourite's Piglet. He's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think kind of Piglet and Owl are a little bit opposites. So, like, Owl, he's the wise one, isn't he? Or at least he thinks he is, but actually, if you know the stories, Rabbit is really. But nobody's told Owl this. So, Owl thinks he's the wisest, the most intelligent. He, um, he's given to long speeches, and he often uses words that the others don't understand. Um, and then you've got Piglet, who's kind of the opposite. He's the smallest of the lot. He is timid and not very brave, although actually there's a couple of stories where he's remarkably brave, but, but most of the time he's kind of found at the back, trying to keep up with Winnie the Pooh for reassurance, so he likes to be around. Imagine, if you will, with me, Piglet going to the speaker's corner in a hundred-acre wood. Okay, he's taking his little box and he's setting up to speak about his, you know, chosen topic. I reckon that even if he's standing on something, he's only about this tall. Okay, I cannot imagine that he'd be able to get everybody's attention, let alone persuade them uh, to join him in his opinion of something. He'd be just like the words that Paul uses to describe himself. Paul says that he came in trembling and in fear. And that's what I imagine Piglet would be like if he was public speaking. When Paul spoke, he wanted to be sure, like really sure, that when the Corinthians chose to follow Jesus because he was talking about the message of the cross, 
that they chose to do so, not because he'd been persuasive like the other Corinthian speakers, not because he'd been like a spellbinder, skilled in the art of crafting, uh, kind of enabling people to come around to his point of view, but because God's power had been at work as he spoke. I read this uh, quote this week. It says, the cross had to do its own work. Simply telling the story released a different power than any sort of human speech. Human power could have. It was God's power. And don't we want to do that? Don't we want to resolve to know nothing so that we can see God's power at work in our lives, through our lives, to the people around us? To see God's power released in our words, in our actions, and through our dependence on him. Why don't we stand and pray?